Hey everybody, welcome to Something Pretty. This is our final episode of Deadwood, the series. And Clay, I believe that you are uh, prepared to start this recording because you've sent word that you're positioned with the midget. Yeah, I have one question though. <laughs> yep. Very important question, which is, did the hats come? They did. Buy our Excellent. Deadwood hats at teespring.com slash Lipensky file and you can get your own Deadwood hat that with was, moose antlers for some reason. That was my favorite part of the episode when Harry was in tears almost over the fire department thing. And the fire was, engine comes in a little box. You would, you would expect <laughs> Did the hats come? <laughs> I guess I assume you got to put it together yourself. Yeah. And I think it, it's probably just like a um, a Ghostbusters uh, proton pack or whatever is what they, what they had and just kind of sprays the barns with water yeah i don't even know what a fire would have i guess what would a fire engine be back then would it be is it just something that stores the water that you can roll around and spray probably things? yeah Let's see if we can find out here that's what my assumption what year does this take place in it's 1877 because it, it's a pretty small box it looks like it would just be like it's not even car size it's not wagon sized unless it's uh well based on what i'm seeing here <clears throat> it does seem to be some sort of wagon contraption. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it looks like a big wagon with like a pump thing. Yep on to, on the back of it, just like a storage tank on the back. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, steam powered fire engine. Yeah, yeah, he had to he had to order one. But yeah, we're here with the final episode of Deadwood. It's been 36 episodes, and this is the 36th. It's been three seasons, 12 episodes in each season. Did you just send me the picture of what the thing looks I like? I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that could fit in the box that he had. It looks kind of like um, the robot from Lost in Space has been augmented into a wagon or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I... I'll put a picture maybe in the post. Cool. All right, well, we will play... I guess maybe not for the last time because we're going to do the movie. So this isn't really all the finale that we uh, are cracking it up to be, even though it is the finale of the series. We're going to take a break. We're going to play the music, and then we're going to come back and discuss the final episode of Deadwood, the series called Tell Him Something Pretty. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood. And tell you something pretty. This is Tell Him Something Pretty. It's the 12th episode of the third season of Deadwood, directed by Mark Tinker, written by Ted Mann. In this one, Tell Him Something Pretty, Alma prepares to sell her claim to Hearst so she and Sophia can stay in the camp. But how I hate to give him what he wants. Hearst wants the whore who shot him dead. Jen is to be killed in Trixie's place. Burns, who is sweet on her, can't handle the task. Swearingen takes over. Deadwood lines up to vote. Jen's body is dressed in Trixie's clothes. Harry Manning with Hurst's rigging trounces Bullock. Leon is stabbed in the thigh by Tolliver and bleeds out. Hurst and his guards come to the gem to see Trixie's body. The ruse works. Star is elected mayor. Hurst leaves the camp for Montana. Bullock confronts him one final time as he departs. Swearingen, on his hands and knees, cleans Jen's blood from his office floor. I didn't even catch in the episode that Star won the election. Yes, because it's not countywide. <laughs> the mayor is just the town, so Hearst can't have the uh, the impact that he has on the other elections. I, I just don't even remember them saying it. They mentioned it in, um, I think it's confirmed at the end, and they mentioned it in the Hearst uh 
when he gets the claim from Alma there. He's, some ah. things being countywide or not not as locked in or something. He has a line like that. Gotcha. Yep, so this is it. Deadwood, the series is over, and it ends with the saddest episode of Deadwood <laughs> that's ever that's ever been in our 36 episodes. Um, that's reminds the me opinion of, uh, of the Deadwood Bible. Reminds me of the ending, <clears throat> spoilers for the ending of the series finale of Winning Time, the show about the rise of the dynasty of the L.A. Lakers right. ending with Magic Johnson HIV. sitting in the shower by himself after they lose the championship to the Celtics. Oh, okay. It wasn't, wasn't as, uh, at least that, that's, that's kind of fitting. It, 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 does it end with, when does that take place? What year is that? 86? Is that the 86 uh, season? <clears throat> I think so. 84, 86 or something like that. Like it was canceled abruptly. It wasn't supposed to end there. So oh, like the, okay. The whole season, when you get to the end, like it does not feel like this is supposed to be the end of the series. Gotcha. And uh, <clears throat> they do like a tacked on. They basically do the, they finish the story in a postscript that it feels extremely tacked on. Yeah. So I yeah. think they, they found out very late they were getting fired. And so, uh, you know, they, they, they basically ended it in the most depressing way possible for what the show was supposed to be about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does deadwood do the same so what did you think of the finale for deadwood the series advancing your interests mrs ellsworth mine and all others what we do here seems natural and proper mr newman i ask you to Ready payment to the officers of Mrs. Ellsworth's bank. We'll receive it where we can put it in her safe. May I hope, madam, you do not subscribe to this insulting and juvenile precaution. I do not find the precaution juvenile. So many having been murdered with whom you've had dealings in this camp. At least you acknowledge the insult. I acknowledge the pretense to civility in a man so brutally vicious as vapid and grotesque. Have the gold seen to her bank, Newman. Have its purity assayed. Let her or her seconds choose the man. When that tedium is completed, have the documents witnessed as though we were all of us Jews. And bring the business back to me. Excuse my absence, Mr. Starr, as I hope you'll forgive my thoughtless aspersion on your race. You stand for local office, but some contests being countywide, I await wires from the other camps. You've changed your scent. Can't shut up. Every bully I ever met can't shut his fucking mouth. Except when he's afraid. You mistake for fear, Mr. Bullock, what is in fact preoccupation. I'm having a conversation you cannot hear. I, I thought it was good i i feel i feel bad talking about it like a series finale because it's not really one obviously um <clears throat> i i liked the episode but um i was very surprised at how anticlimactic it was yeah 
uh, which I think, as I, I said last week, that I, I'm not expecting it to turn into a giant shootout in the town because that just doesn't seem realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not what the show but does I, usually. What's that? It's not what the show does ever. It right, never has right, big yeah. moments like that. Yeah. But I guess I I wasn't expecting him just to leave and everybody to kind of be left with their dicks in their hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've been hinting at Hearst just leaving, right? He's been talking about yeah. this. He's been floating the idea that he should just fuck off, and he does uh, in this one. It's ext- it was extremely uh, uncathartic for the season, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's which a which is not a bad thing, but no, it's a um, I like my memory of this one is that I didn't think it was my thing about the the series and all of the prior rewatches and watches has just been that I never thought that the ending episode. People always say that it's like it's not the ending to this the show that the show needs or like it, it's not as um, it's not as cohesive or like f- final as the series finale should be for the show. Yeah. And I kind of disagree with that. Like I, I think maybe I've had a slight change of opinion on this watch through, but largely I think that it ends the way that I think the series probably would end no matter what the storyline was. Like there is no sort of like final moment you can really have with the show. I don't think it's not like, you know, just the way that it's constructed, it's it's all the characters aren't going to like leave Deadwood all at once and things like that. Right. Like there's no there's no moment that I can really see that happening. I think that the the one thing that I noticed this time is that it's by far. I would agree. I just read that quote from the Deadwood Bible, but it probably is the saddest episode of the show. And what I think that it somewhat suffers from is that. I, I sort of wonder if this should have been the penultimate episode and then there's a final season episode that ends with the the everyone sort of getting back on their feet after Hearst has left because it doesn't to me to me the ending of this one feels very much like how the wire and the sopranos kind of end which is that all the shows on HBO at that time kind of had the same idea to varying degrees about like life is sort of cyclical and you just kind of go on with it. Like things just keep going. Life continues no matter what right. happens. And Deadwood has been explicit about that. It has one, you know, my favorite quote, the pain and damage don't end the world or despair. Fucking beatings, the world ends when you're dead. And I, I think that what's all that's missing is that Hearst leaving happens literally at the end of the episode. And you don't get a chance to have what The Wire used to do was like, you know, The Wire would have a really downer of a finale but then it would do a last 10 minutes would be like this montage against a song where everyone gets checked in with to see what they're up to. And people are not right, yeah. all miserable in those scenes. Like some people are, but a lot of them are, you know, with friends or with family or, you know, just sort of like laughing with each other. And Deadwood doesn't have the time to do that at the end of this one. And it makes me just wonder if her should have left in the second to last episode. And then you have one final episode that's sort of like, collects everything there and it shows how the town is different because of Hearst and his interactions and things like that. Uh, that's that's my main criticism, I think, at this point, is that it doesn't, it wraps up almost too quickly and it doesn't give the char- characters a chance to um, regain the sense of what they were once Hearst is gone. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, I think that the trouble with that <clears throat> is just that there's no by this point in the series, the season, there's no other story really other than Hurst. Yeah, like it's all kind of funneled down into that one point, and so to remove him in the second to last episode, I think. I don't know what would fill that vacuum as far as just uh, narratively um, for the final, for the final episode. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I I do think that that's the, probably the, the, the biggest disappointment of the show ending where it does is uh, it, it, it is very, it, it it has it has that life continues on thing, but yeah, you don't get a sense of where everybody is kind of at the end. You, you do for a few people. Like I think it's, I honestly only think it's a couple clicks away from from working for me, because I think you get, um, the the kind of finality that you get from this episode, or I should say that you get from Deadwood in general is never going to be the traditional um lost ending season yeah season wrap up for a TV show. Yep. Um like I one of the things is I'm kind of if this was a season or series finale, I would have maybe expected Alma to leave the camp. Yep. Um but even so, I I I'm it's you kind of get <laughs> I mean, you do you get the end of her story essentially because she sells the claim, and that's mm-hmm. her entire that's her the lead into her story, and that's the the end of it. Yeah, um, stays in the camp though, right? Yeah, it, she it, does, but it's, it's a little confusing because she's riding off on a wagon at the end. Yeah, it does make it feel like she's leaving. Yeah, yeah. I also that whole thing where she can if she can stay if she sells, but she has to leave if she doesn't. Yep. I don't know. I I don't know if I would stay. <laughs> say, Fuck you, man. I'm, fine, I'll leave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you get a little bit of that. You see a little bit of of uh, Star uh, and Trixie move. Like I, I can I I think it works better as a as a series finale if you get to see like which little shift you the characters get it doesn't have to be a huge shift yeah where some of them you get okay stars now the mayor star and trixie are kind of like you know a more cohesive unit yeah traditional uh, unit yeah alma is alma is uh has sold her claim and is is has chosen to stay there with with sophia yeah um sai <laughs> is just I don't know what the fuck is going Stab, on with him. Stabbing people. I like um, people. I like EB's thing. Like I, I just think I, I think yeah, I want I ten too. minutes of stuff like that, which is that EB walks out of the the hole in the wall that Hearst has blown onto the veranda, and he stands like he's king shit on top of the thing, you know, and poses. Yeah, that's that's the thing though. I don't know if you need like ten minutes of it. I think you can probably hustle through it pretty quickly. But yep. I, but yes, I, I'm in the, I'm in the same camp as you. I think. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if you need a whole another episode, but I think yeah, 10, 10 extra minutes would probably do it. Yeah. Did he send for you, Joni? What's happening here, Con? Well, not knowing Mr. Tolliver's uh, present state of feeling towards you is why I ask. And why don't you stay the fuck out of it, Con? I wasn't fucking dreaming. It is Joni Stubbs. I got to stay the fuck out written on a stone tablet in my bedroom. How you feel inside? 
I get around all right. Your color's better. Is that a fucking fact? My color's better, stupid. Stupid. This is Joni Stubbs. Hi. What's your name, honey? Go ahead and tell her your name. Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi. Go ahead now, Janine. And finish your Latin lessons and your Greek. Thirst this girl has for knowledge, she's barely time to suck a prick. I and I think that the other the other change that I would have made, and I'd be curious about uh, what you think. Um, and I think that it ties into if you were to do another episode, I think that this is how you would do it. Is that clearly to me? Um, and Alan Sepinwall writes about how David Milch has sort of a reputation for not being great with endings. Um, he, you know, he sort of excels in other areas of writing and dialogue and character and stuff like that, but. Uh, plotting and ending specifically are not particularly seen as a forte. None of his series have ended very strongly. Sure. sure. Um, but it seems it does seem obvious, and the Deadwood Bible talks about this quite a bit, is that the narrative choice that's correct here, it seems obvious to me that Al is supposed to kill Trixie to end this, right? Like, mm, Interesting. Killing, because that is a complete... The, the this episode is the most regression that Al has had to turning back into a season one character, in my opinion. Anyway, like he is, yeah, he is that original character who was sort of doing what he needed to do to get things done. And I think that it, the callback there is that it's also nice that in order to save the town, Al has to kill the woman that seems to be his true love of the series the entire run, mm-hmm. and it's a reversion to his old way of what he has, what he used to have to be. He has to continue to be in order to save everybody there. And I think that a decision like that, where if Trixie is the one who's killed, I I think that where the episode kind of suffers plot-wise is that in this one, when Swearingen brings up that he's going to kill Jen, the whore who's going to take Trixie's place, no mm-hmm. one no one really pushes back on this idea at all. Like you you would right. think that someone would kind of complain. And I think that if he did this in a more underhanded way and Trixie was the one who was killed. I think that that gives you the springboard into the final episode where everyone is kind of reverberating around that incident happening. And that sets up the next season. Sure. You know? Yeah. I would say, though, that he kind of does. I I think what he's doing is he kind of is killing Trixie to a certain extent. I know. I know he's he's doing it metaphorically Mm -hmm. uh, where he's he's essentially finally letting her go. Yes. Yeah. so I, I think I, I don't know if I if I need to see her actually murdered mm-hmm. uh, because I think he what he's doing is he's cutting her loose. But he is also uh, establishing that he is right where he was when this show started still for as for as good of a per- well not good person. But for as much as he's changed, he's still um, he, he's still the same uh, person who's going to kill whoever he has to, except in this case, he's 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 evolved enough to let her go yep um but still ends up you know having to having to kill a poor a poor woman to to get the uh what's the word I'm looking for get the uh get the ship righted do you think that because because I think that what's surprising me about the Jen thing is that she's killed off camera right there's like a the show has to work hard to make you connect with Jen. It has to it has to bring in like Johnny Burns a lot to mm-hmm. like carry this for everybody. 
And the killing of her is done off screen. There's no real, which is surprising because a lot of these scenes, the scenes where characters are killed on Deadwood, you see the murder usually. Like it's, right. it's very, yeah. I, I can't think of a single case where that's not what happens is that you see what, what uh, how someone dies. They don't do it here. And I also think that it's it's a little bit surprising that they pull one over on Hearst because the, I, I think a lot of it, like I, I get, it's not a show that really drives, it's like, it's not driven by plot, but Trixie walked into the hotel in front of a, a lot of people and shot Hearst <laughs> and walked out with a gun and like they heard a gunshot and she right, walked down the right. stairs. I find it just, it's kind of hard to believe that Trixie is not, identified and that Hearst is not on top of his game enough to identify the right person who shot him. I'm not saying it's impossible, but mm-hmm. to me, it just feels like to me, it feels like it Trixie has to die in this episode. Really? Like I, I don't see any other way that uh, the catharsis is as strong and like the, the tr- like the, the suffering of the town and the price that they have to pay to eventually get rid of Hearst feels like it has to be deeper than the the murder of sort of a random background character to this point. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it speaks to the point of the, the town being a cohesive unit, but I think narratively, like as a TV show, it just seems kind of semi-obvious to me that Trixie needs to be the one who dies and is in the box at the end. Well, I don't necessarily know that they did pull one over on Hearst mm-hmm. because at, at the point that he comes in to see the body, he's already gotten his telegram or whatever about the the mountain that has silver in it or whatever. Yeah. Like he's checked out. He's got the gold claim. He's checked out of Deadwood. <clears throat> like he's on his way out the door. And so I, I kind of read it as like, I think it's, you could go either way as to whether or not he even believes this to be the right woman right and, and it's or if just, he just basically wants to leave. yeah like cover yeah his ass, i mean it's basically. just like yeah okay they killed okay you know they did they didn't just say no like right. if they just said no he probably would have sent the pinkertons in and burned the place to the ground or whatever but yep. they still offered up a sacrifice it doesn't even matter if it was the right woman that's true i'd be i'd be willing to um i'd be willing to go along with that i and i do think that and the, as far Sorry, I was just going to say, as far as not killing her on screen, I think that's real tough because, like, if you sh- if you do that on screen, I feel like any goodwill the audience has towards Al goes right out the window. Like, yeah. I, I know he's killed plenty of other people, but, like, at this point, knowing what he's doing, if you're watching him on screen cut the neck of an innocent woman, I, like, I, I think that just sets him right back to one as far as any sort of audience sympathy, which I mean, isn't that what they're trying to do though? Like that, that's his sacrifice, I guess, you know, and it's, it it ends with him cleaning up his own blood stains and saying that he cleans up his own messes. I I think that it's a, I can understand. I just, I think that that's the decision to do that with Swearingen is that he's, he has to go back to that state and to become that character again to Mm -hmm. accomplish what needs to be accomplished. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned about like sparing his feelings for the audience. Um, would would you feel worse if it was Trixie? I, I think it would be. It's more oh, traumatic for yeah. him, I guess, though, too. At that point, like, because because the killing of Jen doesn't it doesn't hit the Swearingen character in a personal way. I don't think you know. It's not. Yeah. It's not well, quite the same. This fucking place is gonna be a fucking misery. 
Every fucking one of them. Every fucking time I walk by. Oh, how could you? How could you with their big fucking cow eyes? The entire fucking gaglovin's gonna have to bleed and quit before we can even hope for peace. What's the fucking alternative? I ain't fucking killing her that sat nights with me sick and taking slabs to her mug that was some less than fucking fair. I should have fucking learned to use a gun, but I'm too fucking entrenched in my ways. And you ain't exactly the one to be leveling criticisms on the score of being slow to adapt. You fucking people are the original slow fucking learners. I think my my issue with the whole thing is that I, I think he should think his way out of this because I feel like he's he has uh, come up uh, strategically against Hearst so many different ways that it it's a little bit. I'm surprised that he doesn't have another solution to this. Yeah, and so I I think him him just straight up killing Trixie. I think it would be even worse uh, as far as a. Uh, can't a, think a his solution. way out of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, like, it's it's bad enough that he's like, well, <laughs> any any blonde in this bar is ex, is expendable except the one that I like. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, if it if it were just a matter of killing Trixie or and he does it, I don't know. It's that's I I feel like he's just come too far to, for for him to just kowtow to Hearst like that you know yeah yeah I I like your point about um, Hearst maybe just wanting to get the fuck out of Deadwood and he's willing to take a half victory as a victory yeah. and walk off with it I think that the episode is setting up Hearst as um, powerful but vulnerable at the same time like he sure. his experience in Deadwood has like because it opens with that scene uh, with Charlie Otter, I lo- anytime Dayton Kelly gets to threaten somebody, I'm I'm all yes. for it. I think I, yeah. I think I should just have really a, I should just have a detective show where he just threatens criminals, and I just like this is fantastic. <laughs> he says, "Um, I'm the guy. The next time you see me, you better take a different fucking tone with when he talks to Hearst at the start." Um, mm-hmm. I I think that this episode has a couple different scenes of uh, Hearst being threatened more directly than he's ever been before and like he because when he shuts the door on on uh charlie utter he has a look of concern on his face like he kind of kind of feels as if things are closing in on him and you know the deadwood bible says that his his victory over deadwood is reverse what is it pyrrhic pyrrhic yeah the camp camp is intact but his self-image is in ruins he secured the only major gold claim previously denied to him but its former owner refuses to indulge his fantasies of omnipotence even as she signs on the dotted line Charlie Utter mocks him to his face as a phony tough guy who's got her in his wallet. Seth Bullock calls him out, and Hurst remarks that when Hurst remarks that Gar- Garrett Ellsworth has changed her scent. So it is like he is getting the pushback, but he's also the most protected he's ever been mm-hmm. at that point. But it does, you do get the sense that he is happy to be leaving Deadwood, which is both textual and yeah. subtextual, I think, from the previous episodes as well. Yeah, definitely. And is the, um, is the coffin that charlie tells her is that supposed to be odell it's odell yes so yeah. delivered for on lou the body got brought back yeah it's too bad it's too bad you have to play by the rules of history because i feel like the most the more satisfying way for this to end is that Aunt lou kills hearst <laughs> <laughs> richardson does as her guardian uh, avenging guardian angel 
<laughs> yeah, there's no no Aunt Lou. Aunt Lou and um, Richardson have a great scene in this one, though. They're great. They're yeah. really good together. I if they had done another season, I would have tried to find a way to make Aunt Lou hang around. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I guess she would have to leave with Hearst, doesn't she? Yeah. You don't you don't see that, but I imagine that's what she that's what she's done. Yeah, it's um, but it is a. You know, I, I think my general takeaway around this one is that it is in line with like what The Wire and The Sopranos were saying. It's it's that it's a very, you know, life is. What is that? That's something I said. Sorry, mm-hmm. I heard like a, it was sound like a dying duck or something was riding by. Um, <laughs> it it feels like it feels like it's a a show that is, um like realistic in the sense that it's settled in and it knows like the life is just a series of great victories and great losses and a whole bunch of shit that happens in between those things. And the camp of Deadwood will survive. Hearst is gone, but the town thematically has been interacting with a force that is coming in and changing things as the, you know, the settlement develops and, Men like Hearst are going to start appearing and things like uh, the warfare that Hearst brings is going to become a, a part of life. But even then, like even when I would say, you know, ultimately Hearst wins this. Hearst gets everything right, that he yeah. wants from it. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a fairly true statement on life. And it, like the powerful will get what they want. That's ultimately really why I think that they need that last 10 minutes is because it's like Hearst might get what he wants, but the relationships that have been built in the camp and the sacrifices that everyone has been making kind of need to be refocused on, I think, yeah. at the end. You don't you don't get the Rocky ending here where Apollo Creed wins but right. wins the match, but Rocky celebrates celebrates yeah. the in and and his own personal victory. It's, it's, we yeah. just we just need uh Saul Star yelling for Trixie uh, as he's or looking over the get, ropes. Uh, Jane out there yelling through her drunken stupor for Joni. <laughs> for Joni, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but you know you don't you don't get that <clears throat> with any of these characters. They're all kind of they're all just kind of worse off. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, well, I, and it is that's what's so depressing about it is it's like yeah he just he just flat out wins. You know I, yes. they they get out of it alive, and maybe that is the maybe the fact that they that Hearst didn't burn the camp down is, is victory enough for it them? Should, I don't and know. That should be focused on. And, you know, like I, <coughs> some of the victories are like Bullock not winning the county sheriff or whatever he's running for, Marshall or whatever he's, I forget what he's actually running for his position. Yeah, um, Him not getting it is probably best for Bullock, you know? Like... Yeah, I, I I can see an ending to this one where Bullock just goes home to Martha, and it's one of those silent scenes where he just walks in the door, and she like he sits down at the table, and she's like serving dinner for him, you know, and they sit down together. Because mm-hmm. because I don't feel that Hearst's victories there like matter in the sense that he completely fucked up or he fucked with the election to cause Bullock not to win it, but it's ultimately not that important to Bullock, and therefore. Hurst flexing his muscle in that way is not the win that Hurst would think it should be for himself. Yeah. I just I think I need more scenes like that. And on, but on the other end, a lot of the scenes like I like the EB one, and I think that the the way that Al ends his scene is perfect. The way that it ends, um, right? Yeah, you know, it gives us the 
title of this podcast, but it's the great line about like he wants me to tell him something pretty. It's the the commentary that I think the whole show has been doing and what the this episode in particular is saying is just like life is messy. And, you know, I think of a kid when when you have young kids and they ask you things, I always think of um, yeah, I sort of say to my <laughs> end of my own breath. It's like he wants me to tell him something pretty when the kids see like a dead squirrel or something on the side of the road. You know, it's like what happened to that thing? But and it's you're like, just like that squirrel was a cocksucker <laughs> who put his fucking nose where it shouldn't have been. His name was Leon. I stabbed him in the thigh and he bled out on the side of the road. It's it's that kind of a thing. I I think that um <laughs> What is the <laughs> What is the what is the thing Tolliver says where <laughs> I'm imagining it as something you say to your children when they ask you, where he says something like, ah, someone please explain cunt to me. <laughs> he's gussied up these, he's a, but it's not the pickled as prick and the cunt brine of another. That's, that's obviously out of No, out of it's, it's from this episode where he, I think, I think when he's talking to Joni, yeah. she says something to him and he very, he basically says like, ah, I don't understand women, but he says it the way you would say that in Deadwood. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I think I remember. I don't remember specifically, but I would say that to those kids too. But yeah, it's just that it's that uh, that's what I like about the HBO shows of this era. And I think dead like and what's kind of to get back to the ending of it of the HBO shows of the era and like the peak prestige television. I think that Deadwood is generally the most optimistic of the shows like Deadwood is the happiest, I think, of all of them. The Wire is very you know, David Simon is fairly morose about uh, life in America. And yeah, like it's, you yeah, know, it's the like, wire is pretty, pretty bleak. Like, like people are <laughs> slaves to, you can still have hap- moments of happiness, but like people are basically slaves to their institutions and things like that is the theme of the wire. You know, the Sopranos yeah. is like just that no one can really escape. They're sort of like the monsters that they are and that it's like, you know, the bad guys kind of win and um, the strength of evil is stronger than the strength of good in a lot of cases. But Deadwood is kind of the opposite of that because it, it, you know, we just had Amateur Night come out on the podcast feed, and that's about celebrating the community and things like that. And, and it's just another point in why I think this one being so dour the entire way through is kind of a strange and maybe unfortunate decision in terms of ending the show, which they didn't know that they were doing at the time, but the way that it turned out. Yeah, I would actually say I know this is kind of cheating, but I uh, I feel like the most optimistic one might be band of brothers oh really yeah. but also you know that does end with the world defeating nazis yes so yeah, yeah it's hard it's, it's hard to fuck up bit, the other <laughs> that one's a little bit of a, a ringer in that sense um <laughs> but yeah it is i think with this one though it's optimism but you have to be able to you have to know the show well enough to figure out how to fish it out i think yep. um because yes i would say that's something like amateur night belies more optimism than than most shows but like this final episode i doesn't feel on the surface that optimistic it it depends on what your optimism is 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 aimed at right yeah if it's aimed at life will go on for better or worse then yes it's very optimistic yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I wonder if the other day you took my not publishing the news that you'd been shot for a failure to observe or lay it correctly to a judgment on my part that suppressing the news would better serve the camp. I've stopped reading your paper, Merrick. I'll have my people here start another one to lie the other way. 
Hop down. Like take last look around. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that that's where it is, and that's why I that's why I find it to be a pretty philosophically uplifting show. I think <laughs> yeah. that it's it's a it's a relatively happy show that deals with you know all the darkness of life, but it it does it in a way that is um because it doesn't really live on those big events. It's more just like this tapestry situation of random memorable moments and events that happen to everybody <clears throat> doesn't have the big shootout scenes or anything like that but it's it's just very it's very quiet for for how much they talk it's just very quiet about what it thinks is going on and how it thinks people should react to things um and i think that it's just it's done a terrific job over the three seasons of getting to that point um you know, I'm, I'm, it's sad that it's over. It's just a... In and of itself, I really like this episode. I think this has a lot of great scenes in it, too. Um, I think that the one of my favorite scenes is the Hearst getting signed over from Alma sequence there. Yeah, that's a great scene. Which I think is just Hearst operating at an 11 out of 10, basically. It's like everything about him from his contempt to for people to um, his like frustration. What, what is his what is the, the quote there? Like even in the like the it's just an example of the dialogue. So is being so good and that they how much they get the characteristics of this guy in a couple sentences. It's. Have the gold seen to, seen to by her bank, Newman. Have its purity assayed. Let her or her seconds choose the man. When that tedium is completed, have the documents witnessed as though all of us were Jews and bring the business back to me, which is his uh, instructions about it. But it's just like, you know, they've gone over how he hates the, he finds the, the tediousness of this to be the most irritating thing and mm. like not interested in the process at all, just wants the end result. And of course it ends with the, um, in my opinion, a top three villain line, which is I'm having a conversation you cannot hear uh, to Bullock when Bullock says that he's a bully and he can't <laughs> shut his mouth. Um, I just think that whole scene is fantastic. I think that everyone's uh, frustration comes through. Hearst is frustrated. Everyone's frustrated. And it just ends with a absolute perfect villain line, really, just to imply that uh, your motivations are so beyond what everyone else can can see that they can't even really understand what you're what you're talking about. Yeah. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I expect you to die. Um, yeah, it, it's that's a really great scene. Um, I, I think uh, <laughs> this show, this season has been like, um, or at least this final episode is, is like the <clears throat> Milch version of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Yeah. Where he, he gets to that moment where he's looking down upon Whoville after he's taken everything. <laughs> waiting for them to just be morose <laughs> yeah. and they're still Sad. singing and he's like what the fuck and you know at that point you know unlike the Grinch that stole Christmas he just moves on to another Whoville to yeah he doesn't go down and celebrate with the Who's he doesn't doesn't bring yeah. back their goals unfortunately hey may, you know what maybe if he had maybe if he if he had been a little nicer and found it uh, let his heart grow six times too big yep maybe things would have been better <laughs> His heart's in that box that Al is talking to on the shelf. His final uh, Indian monologue, um, <laughs> which is another good, another good run of dialogue for those guys. 
My uh, uh, the one line that I did really like because it's it was you know it was uh, it, I assumed it was a uh, a wink a wink towards the the known future was when he's talking to Merrick and uh, and and he says to him, well, maybe I'll just start my own newspaper so I can lie in the other direction. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't but read the paper his, anymore. Yeah, when obviously his son was very famous for doing that. Yep, yep. And I guess uh, historically. Uh, George Hurst did start his own newspapers, so yeah, it is uh, it is what the the wealthy are able to do. Um, I know nothing about William Randolph Hearst. Anytime I hear that name, all I picture is Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah. I don't even th- I I don't even know if William Randolph Hearst exists in in the the <laughs> outside the, of that realm. So, so the what is it called? The collective unconscious anymore? I think right. it's just I just think it's just Orson Welles. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> they should just repaint all of his portraits and just have uh, Orson Welles plumped in there. Uh, they have uh, your your hero. Um, uh, God damn it! What the hell's his name? Damn! Who brings the guns for Silas Adams? What's the, the fuck is Hawkeye? Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Yeah, my favorite character. <laughs> your favorite character from Deadwood returns been with the guns, tracking the entire series. <laughs> The ins and outs of Hawkeye. He shows up and he brought a he brought seventeen guns, almost eighteen, because he brought a, a midget who's hell with a knife. <laughs> that was that was really funny when he's like, "How many of the twenty three and almost eighteen? What does he mean by almost 18? <laughs> <laughs> yep. He said almost eighteen, and then across the street, Cy Tolliver's ears perked up. Yes. Yeah, I mean, would you, do you have any thoughts about Cy kills Leon in this one? Right? Yeah, I, I don't know what's going. I don't know what's going on with him. That, that, he's frustrated, right? He's, yeah, he's I, just frustrated. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, it's man. You can really feel them not knowing what to do with him anymore. Yeah, because like he's <clears throat> Powers Booth is acting his ass off. Like he's he's great to watch, but the actual content of of what he's doing is like hasn't. I, I don't think there it's terrible been, at this. Like it's he, not. He, no, they say in the dialogue that he's been offered a basically like a middle management position for Hearst in the town. He's not, he's not being made a partner of the gold mine or anything. He's just being sort of, I think his instructions from Sai's mouth is that he's to tend to all of Mister Hearst's non-mining operations. So it's mm-hmm. like, now I assume that's running the hotel and the paper and stuff like that. But he's, uh, Sai is just frustrated and. You know, it ties into things that he's been going through the last couple episodes. His constant rejections from everybody, it just makes him lash out and hurt people. That's his only reaction yeah. to it. Yeah, I don't know if this is the kind of show to do this. It probably isn't, but like I knowing that this is the last the end of the show, I think that his stuff lands um more poorly because it feels kind of aimless. Yeah. I do like I do like the idea behind it that it's him the guy who wants to be in power being relegated to a middle manager. Um, I, I don't know if this is the kind of show that would do this, but if what I would do is the season four, I would spend a lot of time with Cy trying to reposition himself as, as like a player. Yeah. Yeah. Like r- trying to get back any respect that he feels like he's lost and really making him a, a bad guy. Yeah, as I said, the idea for Sai, I think I mentioned last episode, was that he's going to become the, in the fourth season, the idea they were kicking around was that he becomes the main financer for Andy Crame's church, 
in Deadwood, mm-hmm. and it becomes unclear. I can I can see that being interesting because it would, you know, Cy would probably see it as a racket, just another racket. Yep. And one that he has um, basically cornered the market on. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much you really get out of that. Um, Jeffrey, I feel like I feel oh like God. they could workshop. I feel like they could workshop that into something better. Yeah. Jeffrey Jones has said that Milch discussed Merrick's continuing evolution away from the pretense of impartiality, including a partnership with Swearingen to use the power of the press to protect the camp and advance its interests. That's interesting. Yeah, that that tracks. Jack Langreish was going to stage a production of Gilbert and Sullivan's The Mikado in Deadwood, the first of that God, operetta. Sure. Yeah, great. <laughs> I, I actually, I did really like that moment when uh, Langreish is talking to Hearst and he mentions, I don't know if it was a proverb or something about about the, the earth talking and then like Hearst stops in his tracks like, what did you say? Yeah. It's like it's like you, you you're talking to that, that uber driver and suddenly you say something that he goes wait a minute did you say hollow earth you know the earth is hollow right it's like yeah man yeah of course it is sure it's a weird it's a weird analogy to magically stumble onto that langry because langreach doesn't know that right he doesn't know that no yeah so it's just it's just a weird coincidence that it happens but and i think for hearst i think for hearst it's just another it's a sign i yeah i don't know if hearst is a religious or a spiritual person right but he does definitely he respects native american uh spirituality enough to uh take stock of that name and sort of take it seriously yeah i think he believes in like either his maybe not fate but he believes in his intuition right so like the the yeah. nickname the boy the earth speaks to or talks to is really just talking about his like his ability to find gold and rare metals yeah. in the ground and that all comes down to his intuition. So Langreish bringing that up with him is just kind of remind because that's the moment that convinces him to leave Deadwood, right? Like that he's yeah. he's been thinking about it, but the, the, because this has shown itself to him and this coincidence has happened, he determines that he he needs to remind himself to follow his intuition and get out of there. Um, I actually thought this was a great Langreish episode in a smaller way because I I like that conversation with Hurst and I also like his um. He has a scene with one of the actresses where he's just complaining about like in times like this, like the artist can't do anything, which I thought was a, a, like yeah. a good a good run for him. Like he he can't fight. He doesn't have any sort of like uh, strategic goings on. He doesn't have any influence. So he he's helpless in terms of what he can actually do to help save the town. Um, Tell that to Frank Capra and Jack Kirby. Yep. And all of the other artists who got in there and, and flew planes. WW2. For, for the, for, in WW2. <clears throat> I, I actually don't know if either of those guys. I think Frank Capra just made movies. Yeah. Uh, but still, my point remains. Jack Kirby, I believe Jack Kirby might have killed a couple people. But I'm, I don't know that for sure. The artists were sent in to draw enemy fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know what? It's funny. Have you heard that, that story about the... Um, they called like the ghost platoon or something mm, like that. Where, I don't know. Where it was, so it's it's a really interesting story. Um, it was about a, it was a, a, a platoon or I don't know what the, the the grouping is called a unit. Yep. Where um they were uh it was like fifteen people 
And what they would do is they would set up at certain parts strategically and then create fake fake um, camps. So they had like tanks that were blow up dolls, essentially like blow up tanks. Yep. And to make it look like from uh, when the Nazis were flying over them, that there was a, a base there. Right. Essentially to draw fire. Um, and I was watching a documentary about it. And uh, one of the guys who was part of the group was like, yeah, when they told me about it, I said, that sounds great. It sounds like the most, the safest job in the entire military. And the guy who recruited me said, well, if you're doing your job right, it's the least safe job in the entire military. <laughs> like they would, they set up like, uh, <clears throat> they set up like speaker systems and stuff that played sounds of moving tanks and moving machinery and like the sounds of a base. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it apparently it worked really well. There was, I think, I think they were involved in the misdirection for D-Day maybe. Yep. One of those things. I don't know. Yep. It's look it up people. It's an interesting story, hmm. but all that stuff had to be designed by people. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Jack Lane Grish. Uh, he can, he can fill that void. You don't expect me to believe you didn't steam this open and reseal it for me to open again. I didn't want to know. This motherfucker. For my complicity in his shooting, he orders my death. You did read it. <gasps> Be quick, then, please. Your complicity is mostly in your noggin, E.B. It's the whore he once did. <gasps> By what vile method, then? Is Trixie to be drawn and quartered and set aflame? Say you'll have my answer in an hour. Al. E.B. I can't, Al. I can't engage him in further conversation. When I hear his voice, I see the inside of his skull. Phantoms grin out at me, oozing gruesome goo. Slide this under his door, then. Would you rather I tell him? Only decide quickly. Do you have any final thoughts about the theater? I guess we can. I mean, is there anything else specifically about this episode or did you want to move into like sort of like overall thoughts about the show to this point? Because I, I think the way to structure this is that we'll we can kind of wrap up Deadwood, the show in this episode and we'll talk about the cancellation and then the movie in the movies podcast episode sure so i, I sure. won't talk about like how the show ended at this point just to say that they did kind of think they were getting a fourth season it was up in the air but they mostly thought that they were getting a fourth season the only issue at the time was money troubles that the show was very expensive um mm. but did you have any thoughts about i don't know things like the theater trip is a good like way in like any thoughts at all about the just sort of either the episode itself the season arc or like how the show ended or ran its entire length of history well first uh jack kirby's job in world war ii was to advance into towns and draw reconnaissance maps and okay. pictures yeah essentially sketching out the positions of axis forces on the front lines in france which is See, they sounds like a pretty dangerous job yeah they used the skill set too he drew, he, drew his, uh, he was a cartographer basically <laughs> yeah all those all those maps looked like asgard <laughs> Uh, god damn it hey J jack you wrote wham and pow all over the fucking enemy <laughs> all these nazis are, are flying uh space scooters and 
blasting people with staffs that also shoot lasers out of the end he's of them. Just, he's, he's just, yeah, he's like punching enemies through walls and all of his uh, retelling of all the events. <laughs> well, that, that's actually interesting that he was doing artwork, basically. Like he was yeah. sent in to draw maps and stuff. That's that's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the, you say episode, season? Any, anything. Season like we can kind of move into just like final thoughts about the whole thing. Sure. Whether or not it's a sure. season. The theater troupe is just what, what sort of pops into my head. Yeah, I, I find the show, knowing the way that it was written, I th- I can't decide if that's a pro or a con for someone who's watching it. The way that because know, on the, knowing how it was produced, whether that's a good thing or a bad yes, thing. Yeah. yeah, because on the one hand, if you don't know <clears throat> the way that it was kind of put together, I think those th- strands might feel a lot more egregious <coughs> right um like theater troop if, stuff you mean yeah the theater troop stuff the 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 Cy Tolliver stuff which is like like i said it's good ish but there's just it's it's very unfocused yeah um <clears throat> but i uh if you if you know if you know that i think you there's a little more uh leeway to to just sort of like roll with that stuff yeah <clears throat> um but overall, for the season, I liked it. I thought this it was a good season. The I think the theater stuff. Excuse me, sorry. I think the theater stuff does kind of stand out as the uh, low point of storyline wise. But even so, Brian Cox is just so good, and like they do find interesting things to do with him. Yeah, yeah. That you know. Is it worth everything else? I don't know. I would agree. I, I think that's the... If they had found a way to work in the Len Grish character a little bit better, I think it would have been fine. Like, I like him interacting, and I like his um, POV in the town. Yeah. But the rest of the troupe in this, like, subplot of them, buy, like, finding a theater place, to, which they don't even get right, to by yeah. the end of it, ultimately doesn't amount to anything and just ended up feeling like it was a wasted space. And I, I also, <coughs> excuse me, I don't, I don't find the theater troops interactions to be strong enough to warrant the scenes that they get. Like if they were really yeah. great scenes, I'd say, well, who cares? But I, I'd rather see almost anybody else other than the theater troop scenes where they're all sitting together. And like, you know, I, I still, I still find it to be really strange that they play the, the, the dying producer the scenes with him like this is a character anybody gives a shit about yeah yeah you know like that first scene where brian cox is like crying over his bed or whatever i'm like i don't what is going on like the characters who have been on the show for three seasons don't get scenes like this yeah sure yeah <clears throat> um but yeah you know i it's a it's a weird show in that that stuff kind of is part of the tapestry and what makes the show that different and that um interesting you know yeah like i i I don't think we've said a million times this isn't the kind of show where it's like just plot stuff people mosey into town people mosey out of town and they kind of things happen the way they're going to happen yeah yeah uh, and i think overall i think this season i think we've said this before too but i think this season uh they kind of really locked into that vibe it works it works pretty well this season I'm a, I'm a little surprised. Um, the third season seems divisive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it's my favorite season of the show. Yeah. I would probably rank them three, one, two. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. But I, they're all, I think they're all very strong. I just think that this one has like, it certainly suffers in the plot department. Like I think season one is the plot season. Like if you're into plot mm-hmm. of the show, the first season is probably the one that you're going to care about the most. It's yeah. It's the one where the most stuff happens. Yeah. The most stuff. And it's like, it, it clearly has like a driving energy to it. Yeah. And it has main character and a main antagonist. It's easy to understand. This one is um, season two, I would say, is where the I think the show focused a little bit too much on plot in season two. And it, it did so at the expense of like showing things and it would have characters talk about stuff like Yankton is coming and all the politics yeah. and machinations of Yankton and the Ms. Isren housing. And I think that the third one is probably the best mix, which is that it largely stayed in Deadwood and it didn't try to go too heavy on the plot. But I think that if I had to point to a weakness in the third season, I think that its its plot is relatively aimless for a while. Like it's kind of just yeah. Hearst fucking with the town for eight episodes until you get into the last maybe three or four when things start to pick up. But it's not a it's it doesn't have the drive that the first season did. I just think it. I love Hearst, and I think that the characters' scenes and the characters' uh, voices with each other have really settled in in this season. And like, just <laughs> characters hanging out with each other is good enough now to watch it and feel like it's worth your time. Um, yeah, but it does suffer from a little bit of an aimlessness uh, in the, the plot. Well, what I think they figured out, right? <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why the show gets more divisive as it goes on is the first season. The people who really like the first season. Uh, I hate generalizing like that, but let's, for the sake of argument, the people who really like the first season, I think key more into the Walter Hillness of it, where it's, it's a bit more like a traditional kind of like, oh, this is an HBO Western. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's got, you know, it's, it's, it's violent. There's action. There's backstabbing. There's a hero rolling into town to take on the corrupt uh, crime boss who, who runs. Yeah. And it's, it's got all the fun thematic stuff that makes the show great, which is like the hero rolling into town isn't exactly the best guy in the world either. Right. Um, so there's a lot to chew on there and it's all happening in the town, right? For the most part. Yeah. Except for when Bullock gets beat up by an Indian. Yeah. (laughs) Season two. They're they're clearly drifting into more of the stuff that Milch is interested in, which is fine, except that all the plot you're talking about, 90% of it takes place outside the town. Sure. It's stuff that you're not seeing. Yeah. Hearst isn't there. You hear, like, sure, Walcott's there, but he's really only there kind of like talking about Hearst. Yeah. And so that's really hard to to click into. Um. The Yankton stuff is really hard to to, to care about because yeah, politics really know with a lot of yeah, and it, it's all it's all theoretical stuff like yeah. the the letters and all this kind of bullshit. Like it reminds me of uh, I don't I forgive me if I already use this example, but uh, the last handful of months I've been working my way through Columbo. Yep, and um, <clears throat> Columbo took a ten year break and then came back in 1989. And when I got to those episodes, I noticed that there was something wrong with them. There was something that didn't work the way that the old ones did. And I realized very quickly that um, for some reason, the mysteries they were setting up 
all of the the motive for the for the murders is stuff that you that has nothing to do with anything you've ever seen in the episode. So like the first one <clears throat> involves two magicians uh, who are vying for a, uh, or one of them is vying for a, a uh, uh, an army uh, contract because they think he actually has ESP and can, you know, predict whatever. Yep. And the guy they bring in to uh, test him is someone this magician knows. And so they go through the whole whatever, whatever. And then you find, you see the scene with these two magicians and you fi- you start going like, oh, okay, so this guy is going to kill the other magician because he doesn't want him to to out him to the the army, right? Right. This is a, a, this is a, a conflict based on the the elements that they've given you within the body of the show. <clears throat> it turns out he kills the other magician because ten years ago they were both in a Middle Eastern prison and one of them escaped and didn't free the other one when he escaped. Makes sense. Yeah, and it's like, how are you supposed to give a shit about that? You know, it's it's like that this kind of thing where it's like the, the pieces that you're playing with, um, it, it's very difficult to care if you have no frame of reference for what they're, sure. they're about. And with season three, I think they really figured it out. Where it's like, oh, well, we can still do that stuff, but we got to put Hurst in the middle of it because right. with Hurst in the middle of it, he's the hub for all this stuff now. That's a good point. Yeah. I- I, would I probably could that. have said that without the Columbo aside, but I just wanted to talk about that because I find it endlessly <laughs> fascinating. I mean, it sounds like it sounds very. Um, that was always my problem with Sherlock Holmes stories: is that they are unsolvable right. mysteries, impossible to solve. Yeah, so it's like you get to the end, and like the the reveal of what the solution is makes you hyper aware that this is bullshit. Like it's a story, you know. Like yeah, you, you obviously yeah. know that, but it's like you the the artificialness of it really took me out of the stories when I realized that like, oh, he's going to use clues that I don't think he mentions in the story proper to get this guy at the end. And that doesn't yeah, make sense. Yeah, it's like they give you the clues, but you don't even know their clues because the reason their clues are, are are things you could not possibly know. Right. Like they'll, they'll mention that, oh, when he walked into Holmes's office, he had mud on his shoes and it's like, okay, sure. And then Holmes will be like, I could tell by the mud on your shoes, you got off this specific train yeah, in right. this specific town. It's like, there's no fucking way you can know that. Yeah. They, well, they, they, the, if I'm remembering Holmes correctly, he would have some information that might not be known. Like he would say that I looked and it was raining two days ago at this place and I knew you must've been yeah, there. That he, too. Yeah. That too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So very irritating. Very irritating, Sherlock. You know, I I'm kind of I kind of go back and forth with that stuff. Like with, with mysteries, I go I I don't come down as hard on it because like I I guess I'm constantly going back and forth on whether or not I care about that because if the rest <laughs> of the story is interesting, yeah. I don't really mind if the the whether or not the mystery itself is like solvable. Like I'm not yeah. watching it I'm not watching it as like a test for myself. Right. I, I think um, I bring up Holmes because it feels to me that that's the entire point of Sherlock Holmes stories because I did it is, Yes. You know, it's like the Holmes and Watson in my memory of them are not having great side conversations as they're solving right. the mystery, yeah. you know? <laughs> yes. I'm not, I'm not there for their character. I'm there to see how this alleged super genius solves it. When he solves it, I go, well, that was all fucking bullshit. I can't right. believe that that happened. <laughs> I think, yes. that, I mean, they fixed it in the modern day show with Cumberbatch, right? Because then they, those, yeah, those characters yeah. actually are characters with each other. So, yeah. Quit your goddamn knocking, I'm coming. 
caskets come with your name on it. Why tell me in the middle of the night? Bodies inside. Evidently not mine. But I'd as soon make delivery. You'll find out where when I decide. Good night. I don't like your tone of voice. Who are you, Mr. Utter, for me to care what you like or don't? I'm the guy that the next time you see me, you better take a different fucking tone with. <laughs> Given what's in store, I'm not sure I'll ever learn what price I'd have paid for not complying. Oh, I guess someone looking hard might could find you in there somewheres, peeking from under the covers to make a fucking threat. But no, I, I mean, I can see the Columbo thing, and I, I think that that fits into the Deadwood angle, too. It's just that... So I, I guess now that you've had a little bit of distance, what's your take on Walcott as a character? Now that we're done. Um, I don't know if Walcott served his purpose as well as he should, as he could have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Cause I think, you know, we, as in that season when we were watching it, we kind of talked about him as like the silver surfer. Yes. He's sort of the herald of Galactus. And I, I think they could have leaned into that stuff a bit more uh, from my memory of it anyway. Yep. Yeah, um, I would like because I, know, I would largely agree with that. I'm going to look yeah. for. The, I think one of our Discord users had a great comment about Walcott, but it did. I can find it if you have any other thoughts about him. Well, it's just mostly because, like, I feel like it's on him to make George Hurst in season two really feel like the coming storm, and I don't really know if if they do that with him to the to the best that they could. I love Walcott's performance. I love his dialogue. Yeah. yeah. And I, I agree with you. Like, I do like his conception as a Silver Surfer character for Hearst to come in first. Um, it's Tom Hickey who says, but anyway, I'll be an apologist for the Walcott character one last time. He doesn't need to be actively evil every episode. It's about what he represents and his presence in the town. The sure. sexual violence midseason is good placement because it lets us see his base nature early and it sets the stage for the havoc his employer might wreck, although not specifically in that manner. Reek, mm -hmm. sorry. Uh, between the murders and Hearst's arrival, he pursues the gold claim in favor of Hearst and is disruptive to the town's status quo. Yeah, I mean, he... I think... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I think my problem... Like, I, I like Walcott. I think that he suffers from the milchy plot plotting issues which is that he kind of loses track of what to do later on in the season like in the second yeah. half he's just kind of hanging around um and if he had one more thing to do that could span a couple episodes i think that he'd be in a great shape as like a great character because i what i like about him is that he is um he's like an insecure version of what Hearst comes like he's he's evil but mm. not fully formed in the way that Hearst is when Hearst arrives so I, I like him as a like um prototype in that sense where Hearst's um Hearst's philosophy is a little bit more like intellectual and thought out and Walcott is more base in what he tries to do he tries yeah. to hide it but it's he's more of that animal within him that causes the damage than it is her um drives and like very um well thought out i get like Hurst knows exactly what he is in a way that walcott does not know what he is sure yeah <coughs> excuse me um yeah i was gonna say i i think the 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 problem with him is that he does get so caught up in that plottiness and in doing that 
they kind of forget to make the plottiness directly um, like uh, <coughs> relatable to the other characters in the town as much as they could. Yeah. You know, from from my memory of it anyway, like I, I, I feel like there's there is more room. Season two is a lot of people saying plot. Yeah. And then you're supposed that is like if you read it, if you read what was going on, you'd be like, oh, OK, yeah, I see. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. But the fact that there's just kind of saying it and you're not really getting what any of this means in regards to the characters that you're watching on screen. Yeah. It makes it a little bit difficult. Top uh, three characters. Um, <clears throat> top three characters for me are in no particular. I'm just stalling. <laughs> no, I can I can go for. I mean, Hearst yeah, obviously is yeah. uh, one of mine. Um, I think that uh, uh, Charlie Utter is the favorite yes. of mine. Yep. And I think my third. It's, I mean, I think it has to be Swearingen, but I think that E.B. Farnham is in the running with him. Like yeah. he's, he's like a dark horse fourth who could fit in. Uh, those are my favorite. I think after that, it, it kind of goes from like Cy Tolliver uh, down to Doc Cochran and things like that. But th- those are the top three or four for me. Yeah. No, no Cochran in this Not episode. Not in this episode. No. That's too bad. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I would say, I, I would say E.B., but I almost feel bad saying he's like in my top. I, f- I feel like he he needs to be relegated to like a best supporting character. You're right. Yeah, list. he's not not a main character in some sense. And also, he's just too. I don't want to give him that um, satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> he's out there standing on his veranda right now, feeling very good yeah. about himself. But yeah, I love Eb. Um, I also really like Charlie. Uh, I think a dark horse for me is actually Jane. Yep. Um. I, I think she, they bundled up their story. Thank God. In this they did. Episode. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I think she, uh, she is a great, uh, utility player for mm-hmm. this, for the show when they need someone to drop in to do something interesting and just knock it out of the park. She's really good. It's hard not to, it's hard not to like Hearst cause he's just fantastic. It's obviously hard not to like Al. Yep. Um, I love Cy, but it's, you know, he was a bit repetitive this season. Yep. Um, it's tough because I feel like a show like this, you you almost instantly kind of go to the side characters just because they pop a bit more. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. Like, I love Johnny. Jo- yeah. Johnny's, <laughs> he doesn't do anything in the whole show, but he's just, he's, every time they cut to him, he's he's very pleasant, pleasant to he watch. Has the, he has the nice story in this one about the soldier ants who fuck the whore ants in the wall. And yes. The, and, he tells, <laughs> and he says he has to go. Yeah, uh, Dan Doherty took. Uh, uh, Dan doesn't do as much as I remembered him doing in this yeah. one. Um, so he's first season, lower. he's all over it, but then yeah. he kind of fades falls off. To the back. I, th- I, I I do think Cochran is the biggest drop off. I think yeah. he he yeah. was legitimately, um, you know, a second tier actor in the first season. I think like he he he'd be just under Olafance and uh, Swearing. Uh, yeah, McShane. He was I think. season one. He was probably my in one one of my favorite characters yeah yeah he drove drove a lot of that and he, he just kind of dropped off his time like they they gave him tuberculosis and they didn't really 
do anything with it. You know, he's just sick with it. They they made they made mention of of amassing all of Hawkeye's soldiers in the alleyway by Cochran's place, That's and they right. didn't even give him a scene where he comes out and he's like, <laughs> "What are all of you doing here? This is a this is a place of healthcare. <laughs> I took an oath. Get the fuck out of here." I don't remember if he's in the movie. I don't know. So the, the, if he's what? If he's in the movie, I don't in remember movie, if Cochran no. shows up. But no, it's a. And outside of that, I, I Joni, I think, is an underwhelming character. Unfortunately, um, I really wanted to like Joni this season. Like I, yeah. I was really hoping they would give her more to do. <clears throat> she's a character that I really like, but I'm not really sure why. Like, yeah, I, I feel yeah. like she's got a lot of potential, but they never quite figure out what to do with her. No, I mean she was at her strongest as size right hand man. Right, like in the yeah. first season, mm-hmm. I think that that, that was uh, when she was con- uh, conflicted about that. I think was good, and Janine didn't really uh, manage to step in. Uh, why does Janine take her tits out when Sai holds the gun to her head? That's a question. I mean, of, it's a, it's the only card she has to play in that moment. I guess I mean, so. hoping that a couple of nice boobs will calm him uh, down. I guess. I guess, but it's it's Sai. He, he sort of lives and breathes bosoms. I think it's it would hey, be. You never know. Yeah. Why did the is it supposed to be her mirror for uh, Trixie taking her boobs out before she shot Hurst? It could be. Know, that, that's also kind of unclear about why that happens too. But is just maybe she heard about it? Maybe she heard what Trixie did. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Trixie pulled her tits out and distracted Hurst long enough that she could get out of there. Maybe she thought, hey, why not? Why not try try to see if it works again? Yeah, it's. Um, I guess that's it. I mean, I guess just the the sort of final wrap up about this one. I can go first. Is that uh, uh, well, thank you for watching the show with me. It's been fun. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we did it because I it's a show that uh, I, I had only watched that one time and uh, didn't make it all the way through for various reasons. So I'm, I'm and I loved it. So I'm really glad I got a chance to finish it. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I I, I ended it. It's still I still believe it's my favorite show of all time. It's certainly not mm-hmm. perfect. It's not. Um, formula like uh it's not like structurally perfect as some tv shows might be yeah um it's not the wire it's not plotted in that way or anything like that uh but i think that it's just it i think it's a you know all all the things that people know it's like the dialogue is gorgeous the performances are like like a b minus is like the worst performance so it's you know you, you can compare the character actors and everything but when when push comes to shove, everyone does some of the best work uh, that they do. You know, it it has a like a point of view that's really interesting. Its lack of big events is very interesting. <coughs> it's just a show that I find sort of like eminently quotable, and um, it's probably the most like realistic portrayal for how. For how like um, heightened it is, and how clearly mm-hmm. artistic and like overly drawn, and how flowery the dialogue is, and stuff like that, I find that the way that the characters are to be probably more realistic than a lot of the other shows. And I, I think it just comes down to uh, they live in the happy moments and they live in the sad moments, and it's like they people just kind of move back and forth between them. Um, I think that like it is one of my it is probably my favorite television show of all time, and I, I enjoyed going through it this time. And I think that it's uh, it always gets better on rewatch or you find something new to look into it. But 
one of the reviews from, I think this is Emily St. James, <coughs> was good, and I would just read it to sum up mine, my thoughts. Uh, it's 2022, and I'm writing this essay. The world is ending, but it's always ending. If I've learned nothing else across my life, I've learned that. For as much as I worried about God's judgment, about peak oil, about a collapsing economy, about coming out, I'm still here. So are most of the people I care about. I've lost things, sometimes enormous things, where the loss seemed too great to bear, but I've lost nothing I couldn't endure losing. I changed my name one time, then changed it again. Reinvention is always possible. The world ends, and then something new grows amid the ashes. I return to Deadwood not merely because it's a great TV show with great characters, although it is that, but because it feels like one of the few works of art I know that captures the sheer scope of life on what the planet can feel like at the best and its worst. <coughs> Milch's little frontier town is overtly fictional, but it feels more real than the true stories of my youth. Humans are capable of so many beautiful things and so many horrible things, but so much art pretends that we're one or the other. Deadwood does not. My favorite episode of Deadwood is Boy the Earth Talks To, the second season finale. In it, a funeral and a wedding are juxtaposed against each other as though Milch couldn't help himself from pointing out that life's happiest and saddest moments usually live right next door. Every good thing contains within it its own ending, and every ending leads to something new. The world is always ending, but the world is always beginning, and Deadwood understands that. Um... I think that's what it is. It's really just it captures a what feels like a slice of life with characters who are a whole bunch of different things, <laughs> not really written in sort of a one-track way where they just have this one sort of reaction. Sometimes yeah. that leads us to be confused about like what motivations are and things like that or what the characters like doing at this point when they don't have a plot. But <clears throat> I think it just results in a show that you can just kind of sit with and enjoy. And as long as you're aware of what you said is like the production style and like what to expect from it. And if you don't expect a modern plotted Western, I think it just has yeah. like endless sort of joy within it as a TV show. Yeah. I, I think that's my biggest question is what does the mod, what would the modern TV viewer think of this show? Cause I feel like it is, <clears throat> fairly unique in a lot of ways um that uh in an era where anything that doesn't explicitly move the plot forward and add to the wikipedia article article of the season feels like filler is, is referred to as filler yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i'd be curious to see how how um people would react to this now uh like could, <laughs> do you think that this show would have the same kind of online insanity that Westworld had if it came out in 2014 instead oh. of 2004. <laughs> just in terms like of are people are people is there a is there going to be a subreddit that's just on fire with theories about what's going to happen on next episode of Deadwood only to have it be like nothing for people <laughs> sitting around having a coffee <laughs> I I wish I could like but that's the in some ways, the Deadwood Reddit is great because it's just memes of quotes from the show, you know, being posted. There's no like analysis about um, like who's an android or who's not an android or things mm -hmm, like that. It's mm -hmm. it is uh, yeah, that's just it's just a modern thing. Like, and I think that so to tie it into this episode, is this a disappointing ending in the modern era or is this an okay ending in the modern era? Um. I think this is a disappointing ending in the modern era. Okay. Because, like, I, I think back to the only one of those that I, well, I guess I did watch 
Westworld, but like the one that I feel like is the is the modern most sort of divisive ending is the ending to Breaking Bad. Yeah, which has I think the ending of Breaking Bad is the penultimate episode. Yes. Because once yeah. once he kills Hank, spoilers for Breaking Bad, that's it. That's the end of the show. Like that's Yeah. He's he's gone at that. Anything that happens after that is just falling action. Yes. And or I contradictory. Think I think it's actually contradictory, really. Like the the final Breaking Bad episode is like a it's the George Lucas, like you want your fucking lightsabers. Oh moment. yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. It's the final episode is like, here's your fucking shootout, you you, yeah. you pigs. <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to know what happened to the rice and packet here? Here, here you find out you fucking <laughs> slobs. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, like so, and I think that's part of why it feels a, a, a kind of a disappointing in that show. And I think, I think this show, I because people demand a certain level of closure from things that when you deny them that, it, it they they say, oh well, that was bad. Yeah. Um, and I think this lacks that certain kind of closure, especially. Especially when you've got the season, the last like two or three episodes of this season are literally every people on both sides going, "How many guns yes. can we get? Yeah. How quickly can we get them?" Yeah, <clears throat> to have the show end with n- n- not a single shot fired. Yep, uh, the bad guy wins ostensibly and then just like leaves, kind of yep. sort of nonplussed about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I don't know I don't think it would go over that super well. I think uh I think Twitter would be a buzz with the disappointing Deadwood finale. Yeah, I I would agree. But I um I like it. I I enjoy yeah, this. Ending. I do too. I I I agree with you. I think it's I I think if um I think the ending of the series even though it wasn't meant to be the ending of the series is oddly in line with the theme of the show. Yeah, I would agree. Where you know you're not gonna end on a high note necessarily. This is where you close the door yep. on the show, just because that's what happens in life sometimes. Yeah. No, agreed. Did you know, you know for your fourth watch through? Yeah. When you get to this episode, you can start going frame by frame through all the crowd shots and see if you can pick out Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill from ZZ Top. Yep, they're in it. Scott Ian from Anthrax yep. and Lemmy, Lemmy from Motorhead. Yep. Did you see them oh. in it? No. Have you seen them? I th- I couldn't remember. Are they in? Are you sure they're in the finale or are they in the movie? Yeah, I just I pulled up the episode because I was trying to figure out. I, I didn't want to say this and have myself be wrong, but yep. uh, um, I was I thought for a second that the guy who has sex with Jen, is that her name? Jen? Yes, yeah, the the Trixie stand in. Yeah, for a second I thought it was um Josh Duhamel, who is the guy oh. who looks who's who's not Timothy Oliphant, but looks exactly <laughs> like him. <laughs> but it's not him, I'm assuming. No, I, his name is not not on this list, but at the bottom of the thing it says rest of cast listed alphabetically, and it's got that. Also yeah, they're, they're, uh, Scott they're, Ian's wife, Pearl A Day, and I only know that because that's Meatloaf's daughter. Oh. And I know that they're married. Bowie's well, married to Meatloaf's daughter. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're in it. I think they're only in crowd shots. Like I've seen images of them uh, standing around on set, but I've, I don't think. Um, <clears throat> I think like if you freeze frame it, there'll just be faces in a crowd somewhere. Yeah. So, and one of the uh, one of the Hearst goons 
who has a must have a line because he's in the the main cast listing here is uh, Dane Ashbrook, who is Bobby Briggs from Twin Peaks. Oh, okay, <clears throat> is he the one that bothers um, the general? I'm not sure. I I'd have to go back and look because I I obviously wasn't looking for him. So right. if I went back and watched it again, I might be able to tell if that's him. That scene has another great Charlie line. So you better see to that yourself because if he don't make it, you'll be eating your spuds running till I hunt you the fuck down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there's something to be said about being able to write good, badass Western dialogue. Yeah. It, it's it's not easy. Eating your spuds running. Because <laughs> you really got to commit to like a weird metaphor. Like, yeah. Like... Do you think in when they when they were writing Tombstone, whoever was writing Tombstone, whether or not it was Kurt Russell on set, who's to say? <laughs> do you think when they came up with the line, "You skin that smoke wagon and see what happens"? Do you th- <laughs> do you think was there any question that that was the one, or is, or was it like, no, oh, no, that's it, we got it? Yeah, I mean, because that whole sequence just seems like a writer's room brainstorming session where they're throwing right. notes into a head. They, they pick out the five best ones with skin that smoke wagon and uh I said throw down. It's just that it's just every every everything you've been waiting to say. Cause that's the uh because what's so unique about that one is just like I have never heard those phrases said. Like I've never yes. heard those words <laughs> said before in that order. But it totally makes sense that that's what he would say in that situation. Yeah. I think that's the magic of making a um a good Western dialogue, like eat your spuds running. It is like a perfect little thing to say for it, but I've never heard anyone say those words in that order before. Jerk that pistol and go to work, work. boy. I said, throw down. Oh, you're scared. So I guess that's a good place as any. We covered Tombstone on our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Penske file. You guys can go there. We covered Unforgiven as well. And I think, Clay, Mm. All the upcoming content until we get to the Deadwood movie is going to be on Patreon. So I'm going to make that decision okay. now and lock it in. So we're going to be doing how many weeks do we have here until the end of the year? I mean, One, two. It's, do we have a? Is there, are you are you shooting? We don't have like there's no, we don't have a. Um, What's that? <laughs> I I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like we don't have a. Uh, a deadline or anything, well, I, right? I, I would. I only. I'm hoping to put the fine the movie out before the end of the year, just to be oh, like, this is okay. done by 2024. Yes. yes. So um, we only have six weeks. So we're going to do a couple. We'll probably oh do. Oh my god! There's only six weeks. Six weeks left year. in the year. So it, because of the holidays, Ugh. we'll do the pilot to. Oh, we're going to do Hitman, which is what Olafan oh, did <laughs> after this to pay for his house. We'll do the pilot for. John from Cincinnati and the pilot from Luck, and then we'll do a Western that we'll decide, and then we'll have the, the Deadwood movie after that, and we'll be done. Cool. So those three are going to be on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. You get the Hitman coverage, Luck. What was the other one? John from Cincinnati and then the Western, and then we'll put the Deadwood movie right before the end of the year out on the main feed. So that's it. You guys will get teasers for the episodes on this, but you'll have to subscribe at patreon.com slash the Penske file to get the whole thing. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we wrap up this final regular episode of something pretty? The guy who played Johnny was in a movie called the man who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. He's also, uh, the rapist in room, 
which is the yes, the thing I that saw I that he's on there too, which is a movie I haven't seen. But that's a great I've, movie. It was a, I've heard it's very good. The book annoyed the fuck out of me, but it's a the rare. It's one of the rare cases of the movie's better than the book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we're still trucking our way through the video nasties on Patreon for Rotten Horror Picture Show. We just did uh, <clears throat> um, Last House on the Left yep. in October this month. November, we're doing uh, Evil Speak, which is, is that what it is? Yeah, Evil Speak, which is, is going to be fun. Um, and the next year, we're, we're rounding the year out with Zombie, Lucio Fulci Zombie, and the next year, Amanda and I are going to do, we've decided we're going to do the Halloween franchise, but since we've only, since we've already done Halloween 2018, we're going to do, it actually kind of helps because there's 13 of those movies. There you so go. We've already done Baker's one. Yep. And so we're going to do the other 12 next year. There you go. All kinds of stuff. There's like 200 episodes on Patreon. So join that. If you've found this podcast. 10 years, years of our life. <laughs> yeah. If you found the podcast in the future, the Patreon might still be out there. Go check it out. You know, if you've enjoyed this show, just sign up for a month or two and then unsubscribe and you'll uh, we'll consider that uh, more than fair for the content that we put out for something pretty. But that's it. My podcasting career can now end happily, Clay, because I've covered the series that I wanted to do. But mm-hmm. We have all the other shows that are still going on, except uh, I don't know if Voyager's fourth season is going to mount up to Deadwood's oh boy. Uh, three seasons. Oh boy. We'll see. I can't be prejudicial. Hey, we got... Seven of nine, and I'm sure some other stuff. The Rock shows up at some point. Yeah, the I know. Rock's in there. And we already uh, we already had Doc Cochran on Voyager, though, unfortunately, so we're not going to get true. that back. We'll see. That's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Something Pretty. We're done with all the regular episodes. Thanks very much for listening, and uh, that's it. We will see you next week with some Patreon coverage, and then we're going to get to the movie in a couple weeks. So... Um, uh, you were saying something about the. I, I think like just the, the final point is that the the modern. It'll be interesting watching the movie when we've been talking about how this show doesn't feel like it's a modern TV show in like the current twenty twenty three sense. So mm, the yeah. movie, we'll see how you feel about the movie, but um, the movie obviously being made much later, I think has a different feel to it. So we'll see what people think. If I'm it. being honest. <clears throat> I watched the first five minutes of it today. Oh, you did? Okay. And uh, the law, the opening with the CGI train was not what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it was bad. It was just not what I was expecting. Yeah, I think we'll have a lot to say even beyond CGI trains for the movie. Yeah. But uh, I won't spoil my thoughts about it. But we'll get to it. And uh, that'll be it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time. Did she suffer? I was gentle as I was able, and that's the last we'll fucking speak of her, Johnny. Wants me to tell him something pretty.